And look, it definitely was impacting my health. I was 25 kilos heavier than I am now. I was drinking excessively. I wasn't sleeping. I was getting. I was living on less than four hours sleep a night at that point. Um, I was a, a walking time bomb waiting to have a heart attack probably and that was probably that was where i think i would have ended up if i'd have kept on going at that that sort of pace and intensity welcome to helping organizations thrive i have the great pleasure of jimmy burrows on the show uh good afternoon and good morning to you jimmy hey julian good to see you thanks so much for having me on the show yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation, and only yesterday I was on your show, and so <laughs> uh, that's great, and good to connect with you, good to get to know you a bit better as well. Uh, you are the owner and founder of Jimmy Burrows uh, Leadership, which is all about supporting leaders to transform their businesses' results without working any harder through building a culture of trust, connection, and performance with their teams. Uh, you're also the author of Beat Burnout, Ignite Performance, which may be a clue to what we might be talking about today. Uh, and yep. you're also the host of the Ways of Working uh, podcast. And we will be exploring uh, beating burnout and igniting performance. Uh, before we get into that, Jimmy, I really want to uh, understand what do, do you love about what you do? It's such an interesting question. What do I love about what I do? Because I'm, uh, as, as you probably already picked up, I'm quite a passionate person. I'm, I kind of go boots and all into everything. And I think the thing I love about what I do as, uh, it doesn't even feel like work, but what I do for a job is I'm helping people solve a problem that they're really struggling to solve themselves. And potentially they've tried to solve lots of times. Maybe they've worked with other people to try and solve, but it's a problem that's getting in the way of them having a fantastic life. So it could be affecting their personal life, could be affecting their professional life, could be affecting their mental health. And nobody should have to go through that. So what I love about what I do is that I get to bring some of the battle scars and experiences that I've built up and also some of the academic and research experience that I've built up. And I get to turn that into something that actually makes a difference for people's lives. And I think we're all wanting to make a difference, but I love what I do because I get to make a difference and help people solve problems they can't solve. Yes. And you, you are very passionate about it. And I love uh, engaging with you because you do ooze this enthusiasm and ideas of trying to go for it. And so what, what was the moment you realized that is what you love and that's what you want to do? And I want to that's my mission in life is to help those people in this way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so fascinating. The, how do you end up knowing what your purpose is? And I think we spoke about this yesterday, but when, when we work with teams and leaders in organizations, it always, it's kind of not surprising to me anymore, but it's, it was initially quite surprising how little time people spend thinking deeply about their purpose. And I remember when I was, you know, a young man out uh, sort of first couple of jobs out of university and then gradually working my way up through the hierarchy of organizations. I always thought my purpose was to make a difference somehow, but I thought it was through leading. And so I went, I was an army officer and I, I got to uh, spend time leading soldiers on operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then I was in the sort of the corporate world and I got to lead teams and, and run businesses and, and run business units and, and various other things, run P&Ls. But it never quite felt like the I'd hit the groove or hit the magic spot of, of why was I on this planet. And it was really after um, 2017 when I, when I started this business that I suddenly felt like I'd I found my my icky guy, my magic spot to 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 really be on purpose. Yeah. And 
and, and part of that i think is is coming from um the helping people I, I very much like to help people but it's almost like i can i can help people to see a way through a really challenging situation that makes their lives better and that to me is the purpose of of what we do is actually talking people off the ledge of burnout where they're thinking do you know what? Maybe I'm going to have to quit this job. Maybe I'm going to, I'm close to a nervous breakdown. I'm really struggling mentally. My relationships are failing. I feel like I'm sort of wading through mental treacle and to get them back to the point where like, actually life's pretty good again. And my team is functioning and my relationships are back on track and I'm, I'm feeling good about life. And, and that's to me is the, is the difference that I can now make that makes everything we do worthwhile. Interesting phrase, talking people off the ledge of burnouts. Mm. Um, now you, you had the experience of burnout, hence that's what you're, you're, you're passionate about. And I'd love you to explain a little bit more about what, what you perceive as what, what burnout is, what your definition of burnout is. Um, cause we all have different definitions, but I'd like to understand from your perspective, but I also like to understand, um, how it affected you and what was the impact on you and how did it impact your performance? Uh, and yeah, I think that'd be a good place to start. I think. Yeah, you know, it's 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 one of those stories I tell quite frequently because I think it sets the scene for why we ended up doing this and why we ended up running this business. But essentially, if we rewind the clock back to to 2017, I was a GM running a team of about 40 45 people operating in 26 different countries uh in a, a large organization one of the largest organizations of its of its kind in in new zealand and in the space of 12 months joining that role i was the youngest gm in the senior leadership team by about 10 to 15 years so i'd kind of push myself hard to get there through a series of performance anxiety and imposter syndrome moments that that often come up um, when I joined the team, I was told this team's not really performing. You need to restructure it and get it firing on all cylinders. So there was immediately this kind of high expectations dropped onto me. And then within about six months, the, the organization as a whole went through some pretty significant transformations, changing their asset footprint in terms of buildings and construction and, and the way they did all of that, uh, changing the way they acquired customers, um, changing the way they manage customers through the customer life cycle and there was a lot of pressure in terms of quite a dysfunctional executive as well where there was lots of disagreements i had three bosses in 18 months um, and every time you get a new boss you obviously have to prove yourself and then i think the, the clincher came when the there was a legislative change within uh, New Zealand that meant that about 50% of my bottom line just disappeared overnight. And I remember being called into the CEO's office and he said, well, Jimmy, you know, you're part of the business is the cash cow for this business. You need to find that $20 million. And to me, that was like, oh, okay, even more expectation. At the same time, I was doing an MBA. At the same time, I was traveling sort of 10 days out of 14, living out of hotels in hosted dinners and hosted lunches. And over time, I could just feel myself getting a bit tired. And so I would start the day with some caffeine to wake me up and perk me up, maybe a couple of bowls of Coke Zero or some you know, lots of teas and coffees and fuel myself on Snickers bars and Mars bars through the day, have a quick lunch uh, on the fly between meetings. And by the end of the day, I'd come home at sort of 7 p.m., start my work because you've been in meetings all day, run through till one or two in the morning. And then because you've been buzzing all day, have a couple of glasses which turned into a couple of bottles of wine over um at those few years 
to just you know take the edge off and then you wake up in the morning and you've got a headache and you're tired so you have some more caffeine and maybe some neurofen to get to get going again and i just suddenly woke up one morning and and thought i don't know if i've got it in me to go to work today i'm i'm done and i kind of started thinking about what was going on in in my world and i was thinking god you know i don't really see the point of all of this it seems super difficult and i'm not sure that everything i'm doing is really making a difference because every time i try something the rugs just pulled out from under me for whatever reason it was very very challenging to to get any traction because of the way the circumstances i've described um the there seemed to be more bad than good days so you know you go to work you take one step forward you go to work the next day and you'd be two steps backwards and then you'd be trying to open cans of worms which seem to be filled with more cans of worms uh, and everything i touched um my uh, was everything i touched seemed to be really broken and had been sort of held together with masking tape for a number of years so there was a infrastructural issue that was was going to cause some challenges over that period of time, as I say, I mentioned my my boss changed three times, but also that team of GMs around me was starting to leave, have health problems, become disengaged. And so that network that I really relied on was falling away. So I found myself becoming increasingly kind of alone and the only GM left in many of the meetings that where there used to be three or four of us to have a discussion, it was just me. And then obviously, because you're the senior person in the room, the expectation was on you. Um then it was the, you need to find this, you know, $20 million, but don't do anything too risky because we're changing everything else right now. So we need to be quite safe about what we're doing. Um, so don't try anything too innovative, but you need to magically come up with something. And I found myself also going two, nearly two and a half years without actually taking a day off. So the, um, even when I went back to the UK on leave, uh, I worked every day through the night. Uh, and then was with my family during the day. So it was just this relentless pace. And so as you can imagine, over time, that just started to take its toll a little bit. And mm. so in 2017, I just say I woke up that morning and I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. And I went in and I, I resigned and held on for the three-month notice period uh, by fingernails, uh, but got to the – the la- I remember getting to the last day and giving the leaving speech and just going home, um, floods of tears and – was basically broken for six weeks just couldn't get out of bed mm. couldn't function couldn't think it was like sort of wading through mental treacle to try and make a decision or to do anything unfortunately i also lost a relationship at that point so i had to move out of home um had to sell everything that we owned uh, and it was a very very challenging period of my life to really understand even to try and get my head around what was going on because i didn't have the mental acuity to to deal with it and that was when i know that it's difference between sort of tired out worn out and burned out because when you're burned out you're like oh it just is what it is and i don't care i don't have the energy to deal with this right now i just can't um so i just slept for six weeks basically i'm sure a lot of people who've experienced that or are actually right now experiencing that are identifying with what you just shared there when you were going through all that you know, various pressures and expectations that are put on you. Um, was there any point along that way that you felt sort of signals that your body or your mind was saying, this is not good, this is not great? Was there anything flagging to you along the way or were you just putting that down to, I'm just a bit tired, I just need to keep going? Um, what, and, you know, so, so what kept you pushing on? What, what was the driver to keep going? Just a short interruption to the episode. 
to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in association with Lodge Court, who are experts in HR support. Are you worrying about employee performance, absences and leave? Are you struggling with attracting and retaining the best talent for your business? I personally know the people at Lodge Court and they can support you with every people issue you may face. So focus on what you do best and let Lodge Court deliver your HR support as an extension of your business with a tailored, flexible monthly retain package that is right for you and your people. Now back to the episode. And look, it definitely was impacting my health. I was 25 kilos heavier than I am now. I was drinking excessively. I wasn't sleeping. I was getting. I was living on less than four hours sleep a night at that point. Um, I was a, a walking time bomb waiting to have a heart attack probably and that was probably that was where i think i would have ended up if i'd have kept on going at that that sort of ped pace and intensity um and i think the coping with the coping mechanisms that i put into place were fairly standard you know we we tend to when we get into these situations the first thing that tends to go is sports and hobbies and, and exercise uh, the next thing that tends to go is relationships. We just lock down and we just focus on the work. And then we often find substance abuse or um, excessive drinking or reliance <clears throat> on stimulants creeping in as well to kind of manage us through the day or help us, we believe, helping us manage through the day. And we know from the research that essentially it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, but at the time, you know, that coffee is going to get you going in the morning and that beer or that vodka or whatever it is is going to slow you down in the evening. And, and and also I've noticed from research with certainly working with Americans now, um, uppers and downers, such so as stimulant, tablets, drugs, um, using people, things like Adderall to get going in the morning and then using um, Ambien to, to go to sleep at night. Uh, that's very common in in a number of circumstances now. So I, I think what did I, what did I know? Why did I keep going? It was down to sheer bloody mindedness. It was down to performance anxiety. You know, if I if I give up, if I stop, then I, I, mean, I know I, I go back to the almost the first or second day on the job, and the CEO saying, "You know, you're from outside the industry. You're ten years younger than anybody else around this table. We took a real risk on you. You need to make it work." And that to me was like carved into my mind. Mm. Of, I have to make it work. So I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And I think also being ex-military you know, there's a, there's a mindset of you can never give up because if you give up, soldiers will die. So there's always that relentless drive and push mm -hmm. and desire to keep going, even at the expense of yourself. And obviously with maturity now, you know, six, seven years on, I've realized that that maybe wasn't super helpful. Um, and maybe I was actually in a sunk cost fallacy situation where I should probably have left that job a year before, before I did. Uh, because there was no way that I was going to turn that oil tanker around with the trajectory that it was sailing on. Mm. But at the time, I was like, well, I can do this. I've done this many times in my career. I can do this another time. But it, unfortunately, this time around, it didn't work. And it's it's interesting. I've I got a fact. Uh, this is from Westfield Health. This is in the UK, actually. Uh, and it says that close to half, it says 46% of the UK workers are close to burnouts. Um, which is quite a worrying um, stat, if that's to be true. Uh, people feeling, and, then, and it's probably based on how people feel. And then they, that's how you feel. If you feel that close, mm -hmm. that's one in two people feel close to burnout. And I think, you know, post-pandemic, I think that's probably risen because of the nature of how things are and all the sort of economic sort of drivers that have been going on and putting pressure on people like you had that pressure and expectations. And when you get into leadership, you get in more expectations and, yep. and all that. And, so what role do you think, and we'll talk a bit more about some lessons learned moment from your personal point of view, but what role do you think 
from a leadership point of view, from an organizational point of view, is a responsibility of an organization to help facilitate um, the sort of staff not to get to a place of burnout? And what, what can they do to, to help mitigate that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, we meant people mention COVID as like this threshold moment of, well, since COVID, burnout's become a real thing. I, I think before COVID, it was a real thing. We didn't talk about it as much. But leadership and organizational leadership has been fairly dysfunctional for many, many years, you know, relying on outdated leadership models for the operational models that businesses are running by now. And the level of complexity and uncertainty and ambiguity that leaders are expected to lead through in the modern context, they're simply not prepared or skilled enough to do that. And, you know, that's no disrespect to those leaders. Organizations haven't invested in modern leadership development at scale for a very long time. Often, you know, the two-day course or the maybe a couple of weeks here and there dabbling in some relatively outdated leadership principles from the likes of GE uh, and places like that where they were developed means that leaders are just simply not equipped. So they haven't been doing a great job looking after their teams, which means that they have, we're now that situation and manifested. I think all COVID did was um, amplify people's desire to talk about it because they had some time to go home and think about it. Mm. And they, whereas before potentially they were hamsters on a wheel just relentlessly delivering, and then they would just leave their job because they burned out, take six months off or take a couple of weeks off or whatever they needed to recover and go and get the next job in the desperate hope that it was all going to fix itself, but it generally doesn't, and the pattern repeats itself. Mm. So I think you know the the key piece of, of research that we found was that this isn't necessarily due that down to a COVID thing. And so then you go, well, what can, le- what can organizations and leaders or what should organizations and leaders do about it? And it kind of comes down to, for me, to to five core factors um the first one of which is 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 around the idea of purpose so what we see in many organizations is people are not aligned on why are we doing what we're doing what is the outcome that we're looking for um what uh, what decisions are we making to make sure we stay on track with that and you know we go down to the if we use a sort of nautical metaphor um, or a, a boating metaphor, if we've got a rowboat and you've got everybody rowing in different directions as hard as they possibly can because they all believe that they're doing the right thing, mm. then the boat's not going to go very fast, but there's a lot of energy being expended. And so the, the first of, sort of the five ideas is can you get people very, very clear on the purpose and the why and understanding where we're, sa- where we're sailing the boat? And if you can, that tends to help. Uh, but it's amazing to me when you go into organizations and you say, you know, so what's the purpose of this team or what's the purpose of this organization? You get very different answers from every single person you ask, and they're all convinced they know the answer, mm. but it's not the same. The second one is, I think by nature of the modern economic system, most people go to work, and certainly from our experience, most people are at work in some sort of fearful state. So fight or flight or freeze. And it comes down to, you know, there's not enough budget. We're going to have to make some cuts. We're restructuring. Um, KPI time is coming up. Annual performance reviews are coming up. There's a deadline looming. And people are like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And they're all in this like sort of cortisol adrenaline reaction. People can't perform at their best when they're scared, when they're worried. 
And when they're thinking, oh my God, am I going to lose my job? And the media does a really good job of kind of exacerbating this with the sort of the, the uh, um, what's the word, sort of scaremongering performance that they put through all of the articles around job losses and whatever. You know, the reality is we're living in a more peaceful, abundant time than we've ever lived in, uh, in, in, in probably in recorded history, but it feels worse and we're being made to believe it's worse. So people are scared. Uh, I think organizations as well, because they're so busy, they struggle to connect people. So the third piece is around connection. And so whether that's a really comprehensive, let's get you on board, let's make you feel part of our tribe, let's connect you with a development plan, let's help you build networks. There's just no time for that fluffy stuff, fluffy stuff. So it's just like, hey, cool, you're here day one, crack on, there's your desk, get into it. And by the way, by the end of this week, I need a report on blah or by the end of this week, I need this deliverable. And we know that we're tribal animals and we need to connect and we need to have storytelling time and we need to have social activities and we need to have all these things. But again, by nature of the, the way we work now in many organizations, those moments, those key connection points have been eroded. It amazes me how many staff we talk to in organizations, even at relatively senior levels, who can't remember the last time they had a really meaningful one-to-one conversation with their boss. It's a key point of connection. So we see that happening. So leaders can do one-to-ones. That is going to change the game. Two more to go, and, and then I'll pause. Um, the, the fourth one is around the idea of exploration. And for me, as a leader, you almost want to inspire your team to try new things. It's, you know, when you're a, if, if they were your children, you'd want them to play with new things and try new things and stumble and fall over. But in work, we're like, no, no, you can't try anything dangerous because if it's risky, that's going to be your job on the line or you could get fired for mm-hmm. that. So as leaders, we want to encourage our staff to go experiment, you know, controlled experiments, controlled risks, communicate before you take the risk so we can help you understand what the things you might not have realized are so supported controlled risk taking supported curiosity innovation lessons learned activities all those things that help you drive innovation versus high compliance cultures where you can't step out the boundaries because what we see in in burnout statistics is those people who are just hamsters on wheels tend to get burnout more frequently than those people who are trying and learning and growing and developing and picking up new skills and stumbling and having a debrief and then going back to what they were doing. And and then the final piece is is encouraging downtime. So there seems to be, and certainly in in, um, the North American businesses that we work with, there seems to be like a badge of honor for not taking vacation time. Like I've got 50 days vacation stacked up and either it's frowned on to take vacation or it's say it's a badge of honor to stack up your number higher than anybody else's. Not only is this a PL risk for the organization to to carry that that annual leave uh, quota, but what's that doing to your people? And we know in in people's brains that essentially they need downtime to recharge. Mm. And it's isn't about taking two weeks vacation. This is about going home on time. This is about not working evenings and weekends. This is about having hobbies and being able to connect with friends, <clears throat> debriefing, and just watching movies and hanging out with the kids. Mm. organizations are stealing that time away from people. And one of the big observations that we saw was um, when people started working from home, they gave their commute time to their business. They said, I used to get in the car at seven, drive for an hour, uh, and then I get in the car at 5.30, drive for an hour. Uh, But now I don't have to do that. So I'll just log on at seven and I'll finish at 6.30. So we immediately gave our employees two extra hours a day. But that's also robbing us of that processing time. Mm -hmm. Or we're sat in the car or on the bus or on the train or whatever it was. 
to to put all the things in our heads to write. So as again, leaders, we should be encouraging our people to take reflection time, to take time out, to take their mm. vacations, to take evenings and to take weekends. Uh, and actively watching and managing that because people feel busy. People feel obliged to perform. Mm. The final, the very, very final sort of summary of all that is leaders need to be more aware and more skilled and more equipped with the framework or the thinking framework for how do I look out for burnout and how do I solve it? Yeah, and I think, uh, thank you for that. It's really sort of valuable insights. And I, and I resonate with with all of those uh, five points you've made. And what it seems to me, <clears throat> if I just summarize it, is treating people as people um which sounds really basic really obvious and recognizing that people are people people are human beings and not human doings uh, and uh, allowing that sense of you know the purpose piece is it's not just a, a nice mission statement to have on the wall but actually it's something to get people excited it might not align specifically everybody be aligned to it but actually recognize that people do have purpose as well and if you can harmonize a little bit of that to your purpose it starts to resonate and people get excited and uh, give energy for it. Uh, it becomes not like work. And like you just said before, you know, what you do right now because you're doing it on purpose, it doesn't feel like work. And, and I'm sure you still watch out in terms of giving yourself downtime and all that, but it, what you're actually doing doesn't, you love it. It's excited and it's not a drain on, on you. It gives you energy in a sense. And I think, you know, going back to that connection piece and where you talked about the sort of one-to-one that I've had, Probably in the last couple of months, lots of uh, client conversations with leaders where, frankly, I'm quite shocked how poor and how badly one-to-ones are, are either not happening or there's, when I asked clients about one-to-ones, I said, what's, what's, what's the purpose of it? And they thought, I don't know. And it just feels like a tick box. And they've, they've lost the meaning yeah. of what a one-to-one's about and that connection piece. Um and so I think it's and just, more often than not a one-to-one is a is a whip meeting, right? What are you working on? And here's some more work for you. Um, versus uh, to exactly. your point, the, the person, not the position. It's a one-to-one should be a check-in with that person. How are you doing? What's going on for know. you? Uh, and, yeah. and all the other stuff will fall into the place. And I think it's allowing people to to be a bit more and to be more in the moment and be more um, in that sense of of just yeah being sort of in the moment with with what they're doing rather than trying to think about the next thing and racing ahead and missing actually those moments with each other and building those connections. What do you think gets in the way? We, we, we know this and there's lots of research out there. And, you know, you and I work with organizations in different ways, probably achieving the same thing ultimately at the end game. What gets in the way of organizations going, Yes, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have to go and do it. What What's the big thing you think that stops them uh, building? Because when they when they do this, they get engaged staff who are refreshed, and and there's evidence. We know there's evidence. Like I know that if you if you if you, if you develop a, a purposeful, purpose led organization, your profits go up significantly versus a non purpose driven. There's there's data. There's actual real data over ten years. I've I've seen it. So. What gets in the way? Why don't we believe it? Because we don't seem to be investing in our people in this way. Yeah, it's, it, that's, it's, it's been something that's been playing on my mind for a while. So I had our research team go and find out. And there's a couple of things. Um, number one, I, I alluded to earlier, is the educational models that we put our leaders through are either limited 
i.e. not available to everybody and therefore people are just doing their best with the tools they have. Uh, and the many of the leadership programs that are taught are outdated. Uh, so you know, if we look at the business construct for most organizations, the still the focus is on shareholder return, productivity, performance, um, output, optimization, efficiencies, cost cutting, you know, very, um, very good industrial revolution style uh, measures and metrics and you know, were fantastic for a time. You then overlay the challenges that we've had um, globally for the last few years, things like COVID, where people suddenly were, the way that they managed was by talking to people and connecting with them, but suddenly those people were not available to them. So the communication levels dropped by, they, I think it was somewhere between 72 and 73% of the average communication moved from a verbal to an email communication within Teams. So it used to be, I would say, hey, Julian, what do you think about this? Uh, and you would go, oh, that's a ridiculous idea. But instead, I had to now send an email or an MSN chat uh, and wait. And and so that communication just dropped significantly. It's a fant- mm. fantastic research that came out of NASA, a guy called Paul Allen, who talked about the efficiency and innov- innovation levels uh, based on proximity. And if you're within four feet of somebody, proximity innovation goes up by about 70 75%. So that proximity was reduced and then and, and that caused some real challenges. Uh, I think another challenge is, so we've got our um, you know, ill-equipped leaders, ill-trained leaders, uh, and we've got the proximity thing, lack of communication. The third one that really seems to be an issue is we don't teach prioritization. Um, because everybody's so scared to say no, because they're in fear of job cuts, restructures, not getting the bonus, not getting the promotion, not being seen as the high performer, nobody says no. And so over time, we've got all these old things that we used to do that were priorities, and then we just add another priority, and we add another priority. And it's very, very rare, very rare when we go into organizations that we've got a, an executive team or a senior leadership team that goes, right, we're going to stop doing half of this stuff. And one of the activities we do in organizations is we do the, we do the prioritization um, activity based on what's the purpose of this? And... We end up with with three columns essentially on on the flip chart, which is we've no we've not really got any idea of the purpose of this, but somebody told us we had to do it, so we keep doing it. Um, we kind of see the purpose of this, but it's a it's a wishy washy one, and we're we're just doing it because it, it needs to be done, or, and we're very very clear on the purpose and and why we're doing this. And we go we do we go through that activity, and we go so things that we don't really know the purpose of and we just do them because somebody told us to do them. We should just stop doing all those, right? And people are like, yes, but but that one we probably need to move. Oh, and this one needs to stay. And oh, then we can't stop doing that one because so-and-so says that we need it. And I get, right, well, so why don't we go and have some conversations about those things? And why don't we mm. stop doing those things? But the reality is that people have just got more and more and more and more on their plates. And they've also got a whole lot more complexity in their personal lives going on. So maybe they've now got more complex caregiving relationships. Maybe they're Mm. working from home. So trying to manage diaries with their partners and their kids. And there's a whole lot more complexity. So their mental energy is also being spent on that whilst they're trying to deal with these overwhelming number of priorities. Mm. And so that that's causing a lot of this noise, I think, is that there's just too much going on. We're trying to do too many things at the same time. And we haven't got the confidence to say, no, let's stop doing some of those things for fear of being found out or lost. I'm not sure. We're almost, I think we need to be a bit more like children where 
you know, you ask a child to do something, and my children are a great example, and they go, why? <laughs> and I know we sometimes with it as an adult, you say, well, just do it because I'm just telling you to do it. But actually, mm-hmm. asking some whys behind why you asked me to do that so I can understand in a nice, in a respectful, kind way, so it's not to be aggressive, not to be confrontational. You know, what contribution is that making towards our purpose? What contribution is that making towards our thing? And I think almost asking those whys behind it. And I think that's a great uh, exercise you just explained there about, you know, what are the, what's aligned to our purpose and what isn't. And, using that as a way of discarding those things that are not a priority because everything's a priority and sometimes in some organizations. Uh, interestingly, I used to work at uh, Johnson & Johnson and they used to have a, have, I think they still have a credo and it's all about, um, and the priority is um, their employees are first. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It's an upside down credo basically. So employees and then it was customers, stakeholders, and then profits. And so their priority was their staff, and they were very people-orientated, very people-centric, and yet they still make good money, hit the stock market and everything else, still perform really well. I think organizations need to get a little bit more focused on the people. And that's very cliche, invest in your people, and it, it will come. It really does. It doesn't. It's a longer-term thing. It's more sustainable, mm-hmm. uh, and it's more uh, beneficial for everybody, and not just in your your organization with the communities you work in and, and interact with and your suppliers and your customers. Um, just finally, Ria, I'd like to just get your thoughts on if you're a leader in an organization and you're spotting, what, what things should we look out for in staff to think, actually, I think they're a point of on the, on the edge, so to speak, and um, what, what signs should we be looking at and how can we engage with them and how can we try and support those? Yeah, this is this is another fascinating question, I've, uh, and often people are going to rely on things like their engagement survey results um, to tell them how are our staff feeling. And from experience working in a number of organisations, the engagement survey often has a pretty low response rate. That's indicative in itself. Uh, and even if the response rate is high, that data cannot be looked at at a macro level. You can't go oh, organisation that we're good, so we're fine. Um, there will be pockets of high engagement and pockets of low engagement. And you need to understand, are there any patterns in those pockets and what's going on in those pockets of disengagement that are causing a real struggle? Uh, it's about going into the data in detail at a senior leadership level and going, well, where, where are we struggling and where are we good and why in terms of what's happening with that leader versus that leader, for example? Mm. Um, but then you also need to look at that data in alignment with other pieces of data. So the ones we recommend are things like um, turnover, so staff turnover, how fast are people um, leaving your business, what percentage of your business is leaving each year, how long are people staying after they re- were recruited. Uh, and there's a couple of industries I've um, got experience in where under 25s are lasting less than six months in, in that industry. And so there's a there's a real challenge, right, for for what they thought they were buying and what they actually got when they turned up to work was a very different thing. Um, looking at your health and safety incidents, so are we seeing more accidents, more sick days? Um, are we seeing uh, people reaching out to EAP? So our EAP referrals, our employee assistance program referrals, are they going up? Um, starting to look at um, disciplinary incidents. So are we having more fights at work? Are we having people talking back to their boss because literally at their wits end? Are we having people having massive arguments in corridors? 
when you start to look at them, when you sort of zoom out and start to look at various different pieces of data and, and assimilate those together and look at the pattern and the vibe, that's where you start to really um, get a true picture of what's going on in the organization, not just relying on a single point of aggregated engagement survey data, which tells you an aggregated average story. And we know we all know what happens when you sort of average something, you lose all the granularity. That's really helpful. And I think it's good to have that perspective of, you know, that one-on-one, what you're observing in, in, in a person, but also thinking on a broader team or even organization point of view, you know, what are those issues of, you know, um, health and safety, um, other dynamics that may be happening actually to, to look out for. Um, we, could we could probably zoom in a little bit as well. You know, if we zoom into, if I'm a leader of a team, what am I going to look for in my team? Um, maybe we just go for that for more tactical examples. Uh, people who used to be good performers who aren't, people who are complaining more, people who've gone quiet, people who are turning up to work late or leaving early, people who you've given them something to do and they kind of just look lost or grey when you know they're dead behind the eyes. That can be quite often one. Uh, people who are tr- traditionally were more social have stopped being social people who are working from home more than they're in the office and don't want to come to team events or office events the again little indicate tactical indicators if you're the leader of a team and you go oh i'm just watching that person they used to be like this and now they're like that then there's some indicators you might want to have a conversation yeah i always say to, to leaders our, our coaches you know, look for patterns look for like two or three things they keep doing differently or the same that's the pattern you're after and once you see a pattern then you investigate it understand it find what's going on, engage with them, talk to them, uh, and try and find out that. Uh, it's been great talking to you today, Jimmy. Uh, we could talk a lot more about this. Uh, I know you've got a whole ton of experience and insight as well. Um, if people want to connect with you and get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing that? Um, the Probably the best way is just through LinkedIn, Jimmy Burrows on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me on my website, jimmyburrows.com. Uh, and very happy to have a conversation with anybody. And if anybody wants to listen to more experts and global thinkers like yourself, uh, who are great podcast guests, and each week we try and talk to a guest from a different angle around how to achieve high performance, then tune into the Ways of Working podcast. Brilliant. So we'll put a link in the show notes for that. Excellent. Well, thank awesome. you for your time today, Jimmy. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you like this episode, then please rate, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, I coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions, and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.